Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why there's no such thing as a sugar rush, why it took more than 40 years to see NASA's high-resolution images of the moon, and how dogs use referential signals to communicate with humans. Let's communicate some curiosity. The science is clear. There is no such thing as a sugar rush. Sorry, parents, but you'll need to find another reason for your kid's hyperactivity. And busting this myth is more important than it seems. With the average American consuming way more than the recommended amount of sugar, our belief that sugar gives us energy could well be a contributing factor to a serious health risk. And the science behind this does not come from one small, flimsy study. This is a thorough analysis of 31 studies. And the conclusion was clear. While the occasional previous research suggested that a candy bar might boost energy levels, when the data was combined, researchers found no relationship between sugar and mood. In fact, the authors write that sugary snacks actually make you less alert, not more. So with all that evidence, why do so many people equate sweet treats with a boost in energy? Dr. Jody Duchet is an endocrinologist at Harvard's Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital, and she suggests that maybe kids are just happy to be getting candy, which they show by being hyper. Another study gave kids artificial sweetener under the guise of sugar and asked their parents to rate the kids' levels of hyperactivity. And the results suggested that part of what's going on is that we simply tend to see what we're looking for. False beliefs affect our behavior, and the idea that sugar can improve mood and energy has been widely influential in pop culture. In 2008, the average American got 14.6% of their daily calories from added sugars. The Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends that added sugars should make up no more than 10% of your calories. And in other countries, that recommended amount is even less. Most of us are clearly way over that limit, and the idea that a Coke can help us get through the afternoon is partly to blame. So it's time to let science win out over habit. Data over donuts, we say. That probably also explains why I can drink a Mountain Dew within an hour of going to bed and totally pass out. No (laughs) problem. NASA had high-resolution images of the moon back in the 1960s. And you're about to learn why we couldn't see them. This is a great story. I think so, too. Yeah. So believe it or not, we did actually have the technology to take high-res pics back then. In fact, the orbiters that photographed the moon in the 60s sent back images that were stunningly high resolution, even by today's standards. The only problem? We couldn't access them until recently. I'm specifically talking about photographs that were taken in 1966 and 1967 by five spacecraft that were tasked with mapping the moon in preparation for putting a man on the moon. And what they accomplished boggles the mind. The orbiters mapped 99% of the moon's surface with a minimum resolution of 60 meters. That means they photographed nearly all 38 million square kilometers in such high quality, you'd be able to make out the wingspan of a Boeing 747 if there was one on the surface. And some of the orbiters did even better, reaching a jaw-dropping resolution of one meter. Since digital photography hadn't been invented yet, Each orbiter had to develop the film, scan the photograph like a fax machine, and then beam the analog data back to Earth. The mind boggles. That data was recorded onto magnetic tapes, and the images were printed on huge pieces of paper. And I mean huge. They were so enormous that NASA had to rent out old churches to have the room to hang them up for analysis. Once the images were printed, the tapes were placed in storage in Maryland, and are you ready for this? We forgot about them. No, really. 
This is actually nothing new for NASA. The original Apollo 11 footage was accidentally taped over. Seriously. Fortunately, in the 1980s, two people collected the analog tapes to see if they could digitize the data. Those people were Nancy Evans, co-founder of the NASA Planetary Data System, and Mark Nelson from Caltech. Unfortunately, the project lost funding and the tapes were left in a barn in California. Finally, in 2007, Evans made a last-ditch effort to find someone who would carry on their project, and she found another pair of people, space entrepreneur Dennis Wingo and NASA engineer Keith Cowing. They rebuilt the tape drives, digitized the data, and manually reassembled every image in Photoshop. So one of the most famous images from this project is called Earthrise. It's basically a picture of the lunar landscape, and you can see Earth in the distance like it's a moon of the moon, but it's Earth. And when Wingo and Cowing successfully reproduced this famous image, that was when they got NASA's attention and their funding. After bringing thousands of high-resolution images back from the dead, the Lunar Orbiter Recovery Project completed its mission at the end of 2017. Today, the images are freely available to the public on the NASA website and in the National Archives. Ashley, do you think your cat can talk to you? I mean, yeah, I think, I think we have an understanding. I can pretty much surmise what she's trying to get across to me. Like she gives you certain signals? Yeah. All right, well, I can't speak to cats, but if you think your dog is trying to tell you something... Then you might be right, because a new study has identified 19 distinct referential signals that dogs use to address humans. And this brings up the question, can you learn dog? Ease? Ish? <laughs> tug? Uh, yeah, those, those would be the two. Dog ease <laughs> and dog ish. Yeah. Well, you kind of can. The thing is, it's not universal, so you'll have to spend time with an individual dog to learn its specific dialect. But first, let me back up. What exactly is referential signaling? That's what scientists call using intentional gestures to communicate a request. This is different from normal movement because the gestures don't serve a practical purpose. They're just symbolic, and they're repeated until the request is granted. Like if you had a bunch of candy, and I put my hand out, and I'd be like, eh, gimme, and I made a, a gimme movement, open and close my hand. Yeah, or like if you need a refill on your drink and you pick up your glass and there's some ice in it and you shake it to the side a couple times so it makes a little jingling sound, then someone at the table will probably pick up on the fact that they should refill your glass. Yeah, but don't do that because that's you're not a dog and that's rude. I mean, it's a little rude. <laughs> but it, but it gets works. the point across. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Hannah K. Worsley and Sean J. O'Hara of the University of Salford in the UK discovered this fact about dogs by combing through hundreds of videos of 37 dogs interacting with their owners. They found that the dogs addressed their owners with 19 distinct referential signals, as I mentioned, and those included rolling over, jumping up and down, and the seated front paw hover. Sometimes a dog used a single gesture on its own, and other times they combined a few gestures to get their request across. Their most common requests were for food and water, toys, scratches, and opening a door. Referential signaling has been associated with great apes, babies, and more recently, ravens. But get this, domesticated dogs are the first animals that scientists have found that use referential signaling to address another species. And a dog's style of communication is shaped by a variety of factors. One of those factors is training. For example, a dog that's trained not to bite is less likely to use gentle play biting as a referential signal. And another factor is how many humans live with the dog. The more people living in a dog's household, the more expansive its vocabulary of gestures usually is. 
So yes, your pet really is communicating with you, but you probably already knew that, right? Who's a good boy? <laughs> Before we wrap up, we want to give a special shout out to a couple of our listeners that left us five-star ratings and wrote reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yes, we appreciate it so much. People like L. Michaela 94 who says, fun science bits and entertaining hosts, and this show has a spot on my Google Home wake-up routine. They back their statements up with credible sources. Yes, we do. And I enjoy their little bits of banter on the subjects. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michaela, for making us part of your daily routine and for sticking with us. We know there's a lot of options out there, so it means a lot to us. We appreciate you flying Curiosity Daily. Flying? We know you have a lot of options when you fly. That's That sounded like you were talking about Oh, an like an airline. <laughs> That's the joke. Uh, yeah. Gosh. Explain it to me. It's funnier when you explain it. Read the next rating, <laughs> Cody. <laughs> and thank you to Juju Hope for writing first on my list every day. I love it so much. And now let's recap what we learned today. Today we learned that there's no such thing as a sugar rush. That's just a big old myth. And that NASA basically forgot about high-res images of the moon for a few decades until a handful of go-getters finally got their hands on them. And that dogs are the only animals we know of that use referential signals to communicate with other species. One more reason why they're man's best friend. Although the whole reason that I picked my cat out of all the cats at the shelter is because she did a referential signal. She like put her paw on me to make me keep petting her. And I was like, that is super cute. You're coming home. Oh, she didn't do the signal where she just like stuck out a fistful of dollar bills. <laughs> bribe you no adopt me (laughs) is that what she sounds like that's exactly what she sounds like perfect join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes i'm cody goff and i'm ashley hamer stay curious stay curious